0: passion for God and compassion for our neighbor reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. this is Crosswinds Church and now here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. okay the kids are heading out for the uh, for children's church they're gonna grab a, meet with Jess in the back there. While they're doing that, just a quick question for you. Um, How much control do you think God has over the little things in life? When you come out of the store and there you see your, your tire is flat. When you come out of Walmart, I mean, did God maybe have control over that? Did that happen for a reason? Or you find that you slept past your alarm in the morning. Is that just you being lazy or maybe is it part of a bigger plan? The gas prices this past week, was God just as shocked as you were when they went up in the pump like that? Or, did, or <laughs> That's great. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to answer that question this morning. We learn about God's detail and control of the very little events in our life, the events that we seemingly overlook. If you're a visitor, it's great to have you. My name is Kurt and I'm one of the pastors at Crosswinds and we are working our way through the book of 1 Samuel as a church. And this morning we've come to a rather unique section of this book, sort of a longer section of this book. We're going to cover 1 Samuel chapter 9 as well as the first part of 1 Samuel chapter 10. So it's going to be a little fun and a little different today. Before we get into 1 Samuel 9, let me just set the background up. Uh, Last week, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You remember what happened? Um, The people were demanding a king. They wanted a king because they wanted to be just like the other nations around them. It didn't matter that God had been their king for the last 250 years. God had protected them. God had watched over them. God had raised up judges at times of need for them. But now, at this point, the people are rejecting God as their king. They wanted a man as their king. And God told Samuel to warn them, hey, anytime you put a human being in that kind of position of absolute control and authority other over human beings, it's not going to be pretty because human beings are sinful beings. And we can see what happens when you look at Russia and Vladimir Putin and all that stuff going on right now, the danger of human kings. Yet in spite of that warning, the people insisted give us a king and God said okay then Samuel said all right <laughs> but the chapter ended by Samuel sending the people home and it hangs in the air who will this king be when will we find out who the king is The answer to that question starts in 1 Samuel chapter 9. It actually doesn't complete all the way until 1 Samuel chapter 12, but we're going to start to unpack that story this morning. Now, um, take your outlines out. We have a lot to cover. What I'm going to do today, I'm not going to have a chance to pre-read the text. We're just going to read through a few verses. I'll explain those verses, and if appropriate, then I'll give some application for those verses. And we'll just keep working our way through the text that way this morning. So we begin with this. It's Meet Saul. It starts with a little phrase in the first verse. It says, there was a man. Well, that doesn't sound important, but it actually should. In this book that little phrase is a, used to always start sort of a new section to introduce a new character for Samuel chapter 1 verse 1 it says there was a certain man and that introduces us ultimately to Samuel and we've studied his story now we find there was a man this section is introducing us to Saul and we're gonna follow him for a while and then immediately it gives us Saul's pedigree there is a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. This is all to say, this guy was an absolute nobody. There's nobody special, nobody significant in his lineage or, or background. Something that may be worth noting is his father, Kish, is sort of a wealthy guy. They come from Benjamin, which is the smallest of the tribes in Israel, sort of insignificant, and also a tribe that has a little bit of a bad reputation. We move from Saul's pedigree to introducing his person. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There is not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For uh, from his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. So here we are introduced to Saul. And there's a great deal of irony here. You may not initially see this in the English because it's actually in the Hebrew. The word or the name Saul in Hebrew means asked for. This is the king that the people asked for. And his, literal, his name literally means the one you asked for. So forever from all of his reign, they're gonna be reminded, this was the one you wanted. This is the one you requested. And what does he look like? Well, he's an amazing, good-looking guy. Really impressive. He's quite handsome. The girls love him. Maybe a little bit of a Brad Pitt lookalike. He's the kind of guy that can sort of model uh, in a clothing catalog. And to emphasize how incredibly good looking he is, he says nobody among all the people of the nation is actually better looking than him. He has a perfect complexion, chiseled abs, looks like Captain America, nobody better than him at all. Not only is he better looking than every other man, but he's actually taller than the other man he stands a head taller than everybody else. So he doesn't look at other people. He just automatically looks down upon the other people. So he's really good looking on the outside. He's tall. (laughs) He's the kind of people, the kind of person rather, that if you were going to just choose somebody to be king based on appearances, that's the guy. He looks good but we've been around for a while, haven't we? Appearances aren't everything, are they? And that's what we're going about to find out. What we see here is God changes our plans to move us where he wants us to be for the work he's given us to do. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. We immediately jump into the countryside, the backwoods area uh, in the tribe of Benjamin to what is honestly a, a farmer who has some donkeys in the pasture. And these animals have gotten out. And so Kish takes his son Saul and he says, grab a servant. You guys go chase those things down, find them and bring them back home. That's the kind of thing that a country boy would do. Well, what happens is it turns into quite a circuitous and winding route. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. They look everywhere, but can't get a hold of these donkeys, these animals. And when they came to the land of Zooph. Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. Now, What we read were just the first words spoken by King Saul in the entire Bible. While first impressions can oftentimes be misleading, in this case, I think that they are often unavoidable. Saul... Physically impressive, quite a good-looking specimen. Seems like he has good care for his father, but here we also see something about him, which is he seems to have very limited commitment to the journey. He's sort of a guy who's a quitter, ready to go back. Also, I think it's worth noting, Saul doesn't seem to be particularly capable (laughs) at his job. You have, you have uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. They were shepherds in the wilderness. They had to go look and find lost sheep. This is the kind of thing you would normally do as a farmer. And Saul is doing what you would normally do as a, the farmer's son, but you're not looking for little sheep. You're looking for really large animals, donkeys. And he doesn't seem to be able to, to find these things. And what we begin to see here, is a lesson that we can take home for us. You know, a person may look like a good leader, but that doesn't mean they have the heart of a good leader. It is impossible to make an accurate judgment of someone just by first impressions. Isn't that true? By first impressions, Saul looks great, but we're beginning to see that he's not a good leader, He's a quitter. He easily is discouraged. We're going to see other character-quality issues that only are seen over time, never at the beginning. Now, something else that's interesting is you notice he's come to the land of Zoof. We're like, well, so what about that? Here's where it's fun. Zuth is actually Samuel's great-great-great-grandfather. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 is where you find him mentioned. What we found is that Saul and his servant on this meandering wandering have actually wandered right into Samuel's territory, into Samuel's neighborhood. And he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor, and all he says comes true. So now, let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way to go. Well, you and I can guess who this man of God actually is. We know it's Samuel. They don't seem to know it at this point, but we do. Now, as the story goes on, we're going to see that Saul, when it comes to Samuel, he is completely clueless about him. Doesn't seem to know a thing about Samuel. And that is really strange. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 20, it we were told that all of Israel knew and recognized Samuel as a prophet of the Lord. Samuel has been uh, the judge of Israel for the last 30 years. He was the one that prayed, remember, and led the national repentance. And God thundered and all this supernatural stuff happened. So everybody knows Samuel. He's a hero. But Saul doesn't. Here's a little thing if you're looking for a leader. You want to find a leader that has good situational awareness, don't you? Saul seems to have very little situational awareness of what is going on. He's very disconnected from the world around him and from the people around him. This is a little bit like talking to somebody on the street and them not knowing who's the president of the United States. That shows you the kind of disconnect we have. Then Saul said to his servant, Well, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? Well, at first, that sounds like Saul is pretty much of a good guy. Like, hey, I don't want to go to a prophet, ask him to give me some information and not pay the guy. But think about this a little more. Should paying a person be a problem for Saul? Not when he has a father who is wealthy? What we start to see at this point is uh, another poor leadership quality of Saul. He didn't plan for the trip. He didn't bring enough resources for the trip. He failed to pack and plan properly for the journey. Sort of an important quality of any leader. The servant answered Saul again, Well, here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. So Saul, who's the son of the rich man, didn't bring enough money, but the servant... He brought enough money. So who's better prepared at this point? The servant or Saul? The servant is better prepared than his boss. Now, there's a pause in the story. It gives us a a little word of explanation in verse 9. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. So a prophet of God, which is Samuel's the prophet, and the word seer are really synonymous from this point forward in the story. And Saul said to a servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, I want to ask you, who's really in charge at this point? Who's leading the way at this point? The servant or Saul? The servant is the one taking all the initiative. Later on in this story, as we go and study Saul in more detail, when he does become king, he is not a king that is known for his own ideas, not a king that is known for taking his own initiative. He's a king that also frequently follows the suggestions of others and is actually frequently led by others instead of doing the leading himself. Just a little thought on that. As we go further in the story, we see chance encounters are actually God's perfect timing. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, well, is the seer here? Understand how this works, and in, in that day, cities were built on top of hills, usually for defensive posture purposes, and wells where water was found is usually in the valley below the city. So, in the evening, young women would typically go out in the evening. They go down the hill, get the water, and bring it up into the city. And what happens is, is as these young women are coming out of the city in the evening, Saul and his servant are coming into the city at the same time, and they meet each other. And like, hey, can we find that seer guy? We don't have his cell phone number. You know, cell phones are not invented. How do I find that guy in a huge city? And they're like, Oh, perfect timing! We just passed him. He's right over there. And they answered, He—he he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry! He's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. So, perfect timing. We just passed him. Hurry up, you'll meet him. And as soon as you enter the city, you will find him, before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. He's at the city gate. Hurry up and go there. And he's, by the way, he's going to go up to that sacrifice because you know what those pastors have to do with those meals. They always have to pray. Uh, and that's what Samuel has to do. No one's going to eat until I pray for the food. So I've got my job. I have to do that. Now that brings us to the third page. And if you're on your outline, that's actually an insert. Let me go ahead and go there. So they went up to the city. And as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So you have Saul and his servant going into the city gate. You have Samuel literally coming out of the city gate and bump, they bump right into each other. Is that a coincidence? Or do you think maybe God is up to something? God has been ordering circumstances to bring Saul and Samuel together. What do you think? Let's go back to the text and find out. It's a flashback, flashback to the day before. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, "'Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel.' and he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. This flashback, doesn't explain everything going on here? This is, this cure, all these curiously ordinary events, the lost donkeys, All this wandering in the wilderness where they can't find them. All of a sudden finding themselves in the land of Zeus, Meeting these women at the well at just the right time who point them to where Samuel is and then bumping into Samuel right at the time he is coming out of the gate when they are going into the gate. This is all part of God's plan to get these two men together so that Samuel can anoint Saul as king over his people. Now, here's the application that we need to remember. God is large and in charge of our life. Nothing in our lives, even the littlest details, happen by chance. Today, you may feel just like Saul did when he was out in the wilderness looking for his dad's donkeys. I'm aimlessly wandering around in life. What am I doing in life? I'm not going anywhere. I can't see the purpose of what's happening. I have to let you know, that is not true. God has a purpose. God has a plan. Even if you can't understand it, because Saul certainly didn't, God is moving you to the places he wants you to be to meet the people he wants you to meet. Nothing is happening by chance, nothing is happening by a mistake. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be rest in rock solid confidence that whatever happens to you, he has God as part of his good plan for you. And in that we take solace. Look what it says in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it didn't say all things work together for easy, did it? All things work together for good. Even the hard times, God has them in our life for a good Reason. One other point of application I think we should pull out of here. God has a heart of compassion for his people that are suffering. Didn't we just read that why is God going to anoint Saul as king? To rescue his people from the Philistines that are oppressing them. God hears the cries of his people. He cares about their suffering. And he responds to us in our time of need. Now, why didn't God respond earlier? I don't know. Why did God respond at this time and in this particular way? I don't know. Sometimes in our lives, God, why didn't you come to my rescue earlier? I don't know. But I do know his timing is perfect, and his wisdom is much greater than yours or mine, and we can trust him. We also know that he loves us and hears us in our time of need. Now, let's jump back into the story. Saul finds himself as the guest of honor at a dinner he didn't even expect. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Now, for the first time in Scripture, we find God actually specifically identifies to Samuel that Saul is the one that I talk to you about. He is the one that you're going to anoint to be the king, or this says literally the prince of my people. But it says something interesting here about this, what Saul will do. He is the one who will restrain my people. What does that mean? The word in Hebrew, restrain, literally means to hinder. It means to hold back. Even though Saul will be anointed king of the nation, Saul will also be the judgment upon the nation. He will be the one who hinders the nation and holds back the nation. God will use Saul's bad decisions, bad behavior, Bad policies to hold back the nation and to actually be sort of a judgment upon that. Did you realize that? That God judges nations by politicians who may not always make the best decisions for the people? Now, by the way, I am not talking politics this morning. Don't go there. That's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you the way God works. He judges nations sometimes by the decisions of the leaders that are in charge of those nations. That's what he did with the Israelites with Saul. And he can do that now as well. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Well, tell me where is the house of the seer? So Saul comes up to Samuel like, Hey, do you know the, the seer guy, who he is? Where can I meet him? I was like, you don't even know who you're talking to. It's like you don't recognize your president. He's really out to lunch on this one. And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, Ah, don't set your mind on them. They've been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Oh, I wish I had the picture on Saul's face at this point. Just meeting Samuel. They they don't even have the proper exchange or greeting yet. Other than, oh yeah, by the way, I'm Samuel. That's all he's got. And then Samuel immediately launches in. Those donkeys that you're looking for, they were found three days ago. And, and by the way, um, hang out with me, I'm gonna tell you everything you're thinking in the morning. It's like, how do you know about my donkeys? Uh, how, how do you know what I'm thinking? And everything that's desirable in Israel is like going to be mine? I don't get it. You're just trying to tell me I won the lottery? I didn't even know I was playing. That's the kind of reaction we get. Oh, hold on. And Saul answered, oh, I'm not a ben- Am I not a Benjamite? I'm from the least of the tribes of Israel, and is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Samuel, you've got the wrong guy. I'm just a country farm boy over there. What are you talking to me about this stuff for? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited. There were about 30 persons. Now this would really freak you out. Samuel grabs Saul's arm and leads him and his servant right into the banquet hall sits him at the head of the table, like we, everybody's invited, we've been saving your seat, Saul. This is all prepared ahead of time for you. So Saul starts out looking for donkeys and ends up invited to dinner. Dinner that they've already prepared for him. And they sit him at the table. This is all part of God's plan, isn't it? To bring Saul from one part of the nation, to move him to another part of the nation, and actually bring him right to dinner. Sometimes we say that, you know, um, the devil's in the details. I think the truth is God is orchestrating all the details. That's exactly what's happening. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Saul said, or Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you may eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. More freaky stuff. You don't even have to put an order in on the kitchen. We've already prepared your meal. It was already prepared for this hour. It's like it's even warm. (laughs) It's already set to go. We knew you were going to be here. God has orchestrated it and brought you here. That's why you're seated at the table. That's why your food is ready to go. And when they came down from the high place into the the city, a a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. I don't think there's any big significant spiritual meaning to this. This is called the carb crash after a large meal. Just real practical. It's like what we do after having a Thanksgiving meal. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul up on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. I'm sure Saul is saying, man, this Samuel guy This old man, he's an early riser. Break of dawn? Don't even get a chance to sleep in for a little bit? And now you're kicking me out of your house? Okay, I'll go. This whole thing is so strange, I can't figure it out. Now, why would he do that unless something significant was about to happen? As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Wait a minute. This is serious. The reason that Samuel got Saul up early is because he has something to tell him. God's very word for him. What will it be? Let's find out. Samuel anointed Saul as leader over the people. Then Saul, Samuel, took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, "'Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies.' and this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So the the oil ends up getting poured over Saul's head. He's got that greasy hair going on at this point. Our good-looking country boy, looks like he has motor oil on his head. And Samuel gives him a mission. By the way, the reason you're being anointed to be prince over the people is so you would save the people from their enemy, the Philistines. Now, what happens at this point, Saul says, in case you don't, or Samuel says to Saul, in case you don't believe me that this is really happening to you, I'm going to give you three more signs that God has anointed you. God confirmed his selection of Saul with three signs. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found. Now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Looks like a lot of specific details here, doesn't it? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. This is really freaky. You're going to meet three guys coming home from the grocery store, and I'm going to tell you what kind of groceries they have in their bags. By the way, they're going to give you two loaves of bread. Take those loaves of bread. Those are yours. Talk about all kinds of specific details. Does God have all the details of our life organized ahead of time? Does he? Yes, he does. And he organizes them the way he does for a reason. Even if we don't understand the reasons, he has them organized for a reason. And after that, you shall come to... Uh, gibbeth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Uh, This section is full of surprises, the first of which... Is that there is a garrison of Philist- or there is a garrison of Philistines at Gibbeth Elohim, that in Hebrew means hill or mountain of God. It is located deep inside of Israelite territory. What is a military garrison of Philistines doing located inside of Israelite territory? These are the very people that God is raising Saul up. To, to get rid of. Saul is supposed to get rid of these Philistines. That's what he's, God's going to empower him to do. The last sign is Saul will see a band of prophets. He will join them. Now, who are these guys, these prophets? To be honest, I don't know. I do not think they're prophets with a capital P, like Samuel is a prophet. I think they're prophets sort of with a lowercase p. Seems like these guys like their instruments, tambourines and harps. They like to make a lot of noise. I sort of view them as an Old Testament version of the charismatics. (laughs) What's going to happen is Saul's going to meet them and he's going to join them. But at that time, God will change him into a different person. And here is an interesting application. Not only has Saul been anointed by God for the task of being leader over the people, but at this time, when he has changed into a different person, he will be equipped by God for that task. God will give him the necessary character qualities, personal qualities, and skills necessary to lead the people this is a great application for us folks god gives us the gifts we need to accomplish the work he gives us to do did you realize that he will not call you to do something unless he has equipped and empowered you to be able to accomplish that work so this is so important If God has called you, he will gift you. Maybe that means being a teacher. Maybe that means you find yourself parenting a number of children, and it seems like it's really difficult, and you have to rely on the Lord all the time. Good. That's what he wants you to do because that's where your strength comes. He will give you what you need to accomplish that task. Now, after this happens, what Saul was supposed to do is he's actually to go take care of these Philistines. Oh, he's supposed to take care of these Philistines. Like it says here, now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. And I read that, like you, and I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound like it's really instructive. After all these things have happened, just sort of do what you want to do. And then I did a little more study on this. You go to Judges chapter 9, verse 33. Do what your hand finds to do in this kind of context. It's a Hebrew idiom for engage your enemy in war. After, now that um, God has anointed Saul, And God has transformed and equipped Saul. He's supposed to go to war against the Philistines, which is the reason God has raised up Saul. And by the way, that Philistine garrison at Gibbeth Elohim, perfect opportunity, first place to fight. There's additional instructions. What are you to do after you take care of them? Now go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. What makes this significant is he's going to offer burnt offerings, but also peace offerings. If you've been around here for a long time, you'll remember when we studied all the Old Testament sacrifices. We did that for one Christmas. And We learned about peace offerings, or also called fellowship offerings. They're celebratory meals. Like after a good thing has happened, you have a peace offering or a fellowship offering. In other words, after you have wiped out that Philistine garrison, I'll meet you in seven days at Gilgal, and we will celebrate the victory, and then God will give you your next bit of instructions on what to do. That's the plan. Now the question is, what happens? What did Saul do with God's choice of him and the gifts given to him? When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. So that new heart and that gift came early. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, And the Spirit of God rushed on him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Everybody knows that God has changed this man, that God has altered this man. And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you guys go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not found, we went to Samuel. At this point, you would say, after he finished prophesying he went and gathered a group of people and he took on the Philistine garrison. But that's not what he did, is it? Not at all. He's been called by God. He's been equipped by God. But he does absolutely nothing with it. When he runs into his uncle, he just says, oh, we've just been out looking for donkeys. (laughs) And we met Samuel. And once he says Samuel, the uncle gets pretty excited about that. And Samuel's uncle. And Saul's uncle said, oh, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, oh, he told us plainly the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. He's called by God. He's seen all the confirmatory, confirmatory signs from God. He's been changed and equipped by God, but he does absolutely nothing with it. Folks, that may not just be Saul's story. Is that your story? It's easy for it to be any of our stories, isn't it? Called by God and equipped for the task but it's real easy to actually do nothing with what God has done for us and given to us. It's true. Let me just give you one other extra application in the interest of time. The other thing we see in here that's very clear is God is in control of every detail of our life. Everything in our life will be used for God's glory and for his good. Lost, out looking for donkeys, ending up in the right town for Saul, meeting the right women, all of a sudden, you know, being, finding Samuel at just the right time. So they come in for a dinner that has already been prepared. The meal's still hot for him. So it's just the perfect timing all the way through. And then those three confirmatory signs afterwards, oh, by the way, you meet the guys. Here's what's in their grocery baskets. Here's everything you're going need. God's got it all under control and he's doing it for a good purpose. Sometimes, though, we read this and hear that, and we say, what, what about the hard times in life? If God's got it under control, why has he let me go through some really difficult days? I was thinking about that when I was reading through the book of Genesis in our take-up-and-read plan. You remember what happened to Joseph? Joseph, sold by his own flesh and blood into slavery, into the land of Egypt, But by the end of the story, he looks back and says, wait a minute, you didn't send me to Egypt. God did for the saving of many lives. God had a good plan, even in that terribly hard time. Folks, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of difficulties you're facing. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's got a good plan. He's going to do something to grow his kingdom through your life and even through the pain and suffering that you go through. Do not lose hope. Cast your anxiety and worries upon him and know he loves you and he's got it under control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Long text today, but really a good text to see how you have all those little details in our life occurring the way they do for a reason. Well, Saul didn't understand what you were up to for a long period of time. When little details and things happen in our life, we may not understand what you're up to for years or decades or even ever. But we know all those things happen for a reason. And you've got a good plan for your people in them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.